Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. So we're going to talk about the video documentary slash infomercial. I don't know what genre it was. Come out in Jesus' name. It was in theaters last night. It was out for one night in mid-March. It's got one more showing tonight. And then I'm imagining they're going to like just push it out on YouTube or something. Um, But, uh, okay, I got no notes. I got no plan. Uh, I talked to, let's see here. I talked to a couple of my friends. Well, first of all, a little quick backstory. Um, I worked for... uh, several years in the, in the area of deliverance before I did CFBU and all of that. So this is not a completely unknown area of ministry for me. And let me say upfront, I bless all people who work in deliverance. It is without a doubt the hardest ministry I have ever been involved with. Um, and it, it is tough, tough slutting. So um, this, what I'm going to talk about a little bit is some differences in my own experience and approach to what, what is in the movie. But, um, I just want to say up front, like I, if you work in the area of deliverance, like that's great. I bless you in that. Um, you know, that's how you go about it is your business. I have opinions about how I do, th- how I have done things in ministry. So, um, I'm just going to say that up front. Um, the other thing I'm going to say up front is um, that I had Carl Payne on my show last year, almost a year ago now. His book, Spiritual Warfare, is a great book, very biblical. And if you want to find out more about uh, my perspectives on deliverance, just go read Carl Payne's book, Spiritual Warfare. There's a couple of people on the string here have read that book if they want to weigh in with their opinions about it they can um so and i also did a conversation about demonization a couple of months ago on um 10 i don't know 10 something or others about uh demonic oppression so you can go check that out i'm not gonna be talking about those things um so yeah thank you laura uh laura is one of them that's read this book she says it's fantastic. Elaine has read it. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Okay. So about the documentary, I'm going to start out by playing the trailer or at least part of the trailer um, in case you haven't seen it. And um I know that people have all kinds of feelings about deliverance and whether or not it's real or fake or the people in it, you know, all of that. That's fine. If you don't believe in deliverance, this is not the stream for you. Uh, Cause I'm not going to be giving like an explanation for my view. I'm just going to be um, talking about it based on what I know. Okay. Um, Stephanie's on the stream. She says she's read Carl Payne's book. Great book. Found it very balanced. Okay. 
All right, so I'm gonna just start off here with playing the trailer. Gender was never about the controversy. It was never about the politics. I thought it was. I thought it was about Trump. I thought it was about COVID. But God built our platform for deliverance. We are headed more into same prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. There's a kingdom of righteousness and there's a kingdom of darkness. Something in our being craves something supernatural. If you're addicted to something, you have company. And he said in the last days, the church will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. They will begin to listen to demonic doctrines. He doesn't mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you praising as long as you don't change. There's a great awakening that is coming. The kingdom of God is not about talk. Jesus is king! It's about power and demonstration. The state of the church in the United States, I believe, needs a reawakening of deliverance because of the evil that's going around. Christians can be under the influence of satanic oppression. 100% they can. You see, redemption and salvation is for the lost. Deliverance is to set the captives free. The Word of God says, these signs shall follow them that believe. The plan of the enemy is to keep the church quiet. Deliverance is for the people of God. Deliverance is for the church. I'm here to call this culture to Jesus Christ and cast out demons. Because these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. That was the, the pace through the whole thing. Like literally the pace of the trailer was pretty much the pace of the movie. It was, it was like buckle up the loud music, the intensity. It was like that for 90 straight minutes. And it was, uh, Angela says intense. Yes. Yes. It was intense. Uh, it was like that. So if you saw the movie last night, um, yeah, jump in the comments. Tell me your thoughts, uh, what you thought. Uh, if you have questions about the film, tell me those. Okay, so central character is some guy named Greg Locke. Apparently he's got a big platform. Apparently he was very outspoken during the pandemic. I have never heard of this guy uh, I did have one follower reach out to me about him like last December. I had never heard of him. And um, for all I know, he set up a platform a year ago and I changed his name from Penelope. I have no idea. I've never heard of this guy. So um, then there was a kind of a, the basic story was uh, Pastor Greg Locke and his wife were cessationists. He was, he called himself a conservative Baptist pastor. I don't know if he was a fundamentalist Baptist pastor. I don't know what his stream of Baptist he was in, but um, yeah. So he goes from being a cessationist. One day he's baptizing a grandmother and her granddaughter. As he's baptizing them, the granddaughter starts manifesting a demon in the baptismal 
and he realizes, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And he felt embarrassed because it happened on a live stream and he felt embarrassed. He didn't know what to do because he didn't really believe that, that Christians could be, um, have manifest demons. And so his theology crashed into real life and that set him on a quest to try to sort that out. That's the basic plot line of, of the film. And, but really it was, in my opinion, it was, that was like a very small portion of the film. Like they kind of covered that backstory in the first 10 minutes. It was really more of a giant infomercial for deliverance ministry and really trying to, it was a lot of screaming and puking and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot. The whole thing was just a lot. It was a lot. It, it was very, very intense. Um, so there was a few thoughts that I had that I wanted to share is one is you see Greg Locke up there. I don't know if I can even, um, go back and see his shirt. Um, let me try to see if I could share this. He has this shirt on through most of the the film, and I don't know if you can see it there. Um, it says normalized deliverance. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I thought, well, that's a very interesting shirt, normalized deliverance. And um, there's a sense in which I agree with him. I would like to see more public conversations about deliverance. It seems like there's kind of two extremes that get the most play, you know, in the public square in Christianity. There's the let's yell at demons, the puking, the screaming kind of thing, that stream. And then there's the Christians can't um, have any influence from demons almost whatsoever. And direct confrontation isn't, is it relevant? Like to me, those are, two extremes and there's a sense in which i would like to normalize deliverance i would like to at least normalize the conversation about deliverance and talking about it and um so i think that it's difficult because people become so reactionary on both sides the people like me who are kind of in the middle, um, we almost are embarrassed to even talk about it in public because we're going to be shamed by, by both sides. Like one side is going to see us not being deliverance oriented enough. And then the other side is going to be upset that we're talking about it at all. And my view is, yeah, there's a sense in which I would like to normalize at least a conversation about it so that we could talk about it in a more reasonable way and have a competition of ideas and not be so shaming on both sides. I think that, you know, it's interesting when I posted about whether or not I might go live about this. And again, I'm going live. I have no makeup on. This is just, I don't know, even if I'll keep this up after this, but um, like, there's a there's a perception that if you talk about deliverance, you're immediately part of the new apostolic reformation. And we all there's this 
you know, kind of thought out there that, you know, everything connected to the supernatural belongs in the bucket of the new apostolic reformation. And I, I don't hold that position. And so uh, that makes it difficult to have a reasonable conversation about it in public because people just immediately want to villainize the discussion um, as being part of the NAR. So, uh, yeah, I, that was, um, yeah, Pam, this is really live right now. Uh, and happy for you that you are in South Africa. That is great. Um, so yeah, I, I really, uh, am for more conversations in the public about supernatural things without the extremes. Um, so yeah, I agree, Jessica. It is such a polarizing conversation, but things only become polarizing when the people involved make a decision to make it polarizing. And so the way that I try to engage controversial topics is I try to keep myself steady and not to be polarizing and to understand and to think like and weigh out biblically, like, you know, various sides of the conversation to see what's biblical. Um, so yeah, I think this is an in-house discussion. I agree with you, Stephanie. And, you know, we need to engage with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ to be charitable toward each other. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's talking about deliverance in, in my opinion is an important, um, is an important issue. And it's going to, in my opinion, become an increasingly important issue as we migrate away from this Judeo-Christian worldview. And there's a statement in the trailer that I actually agree with. There's a gal in the trailer that says that we are made for spiritual things. I actually agree with that. And I think that there was a great line in the documentary that said the new age is like the toilet bowl water of the real Holy Spirit and the living water from Jesus. I thought that's so perfect. Because I think that people are spiritual beings in the sense that we're created by God, we're creating his image, we have a, a soulish property to us, and we have a, a spirit property to us where the Holy Spirit dwells. And the, the, the new age, people who go chasing after spiritual experiences through hallucinogenic drugs or through new age practices like healing crystals and talking to angels and all of this, we are missing the boat evangelistically to reach them with the gospel if we do not understand that these people are chasing something that, that God has created them to long for, which is the, a spiritual reality. They're just, they're just chasing it in all the wrong ways. They're going to drink out of the toilet bowl rather than the living water of Jesus Christ. And so the more that people chase these alternative spiritualities, the more that they are giving demons permission into their souls. And so when they, when they come into our churches, they're going to have all kind of weird baggage. <laughs> and um, I think that much like the first century church, the more that our culture migrates into like this neo-paganism, we're going to have to to have better conversations about the spirit realm and to understand when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that they have likely opened themselves up to 
a, a lot of demons. So I think that, you know, there's something to be said for that. Um, and Elaine says that she comes from a tradition that is so absorbed and defaulting to cessationism. I agree. That's, that's how I grew up is the default of cessationism. Um, and it, it, for me, it was, I, there's a part of me that think what you will about pastor Greg Locke. This is not about him. Like, again, I don't know him from Adam, but assuming the story that he's telling is accurate, which is an assumption I'm making, cause I don't know him. And he got in a position where he had a demon manifesting right in front of him. And he didn't know what to do as a minister of the gospel. And he realized in that moment that his theology and real life weren't connected and, and they were crashing into each other. I can relate to that. Similar story happened in my life. Um, I was a cessationist my whole life and then um, encountered in my own life, um, got set free, went through a prayer process of going through deliverance and got completely healed from a... Um, an issue that I had struggled with for three decades, instantaneously, overnight, through deliverance. My theology crashed into real life. And then I started seeing all these other miracles of people getting healing around me as a result of deliverance. My theology was crashing into real life. And so that is, there's a part of me that can relate to what happened. Um, in that. And so I've had to, you know, go find resources that are solidly biblical. Carl Payne is a Baptist and uh, very biblical in his approach. I appreciate that. Again, I'm not here to give a defense for deliverance itself today. It's not the purpose of this conversation. And if that's what you're wanting. You might as well, you're, you're just going to be frustrated. So might as well just move on. But, um, you know, there's, there's, little threads from the film that I was like, okay, I kind of resonate with that. Um, now, some of the people featured in the film, I know that some of them at least belong to more of the NAR stream. There's one guy that is a Russian pastor, and I've actually been following him, I think for over a year now. Um, his church is called Hungry Generation. And um, a lot of what he preaches is fairly biblical. Um, I don't think he's in the NAR. I could be wrong about that, but I, that's not my perception. I've never detected NAR teachings from him. But again, I, I could be wrong. I haven't watched every minute of content on his channel. Um, but I know that there are some people that Greg Locke has become affiliated with that, that I think would be more in that NAR stream. Uh, Amy's asking, what does manifesting mean? Like screaming, um, the puking, the violent tremors, uh, that sort of thing. Um, someone's asking, do I believe Christians can be possessed? No, because I don't think that possession, the oppression, possession model, I don't think is biblical. Um, the word that is used in the Bible is demonization. And um, so, no, I don't, I don't think that the inner person of a Christian can be possessed by a demon. I do think that demonic 
uh, demonization is on a spectrum and, you know, someone can, it's all different kind of ways that demons can um, bother us, harass us, um, and affect our lives. And that those things can all be on a spectrum. NAR is the new apostolic reformation. Karen, yes. It is not the new age. Those are two, although some of the practices do seem to bear a remarkable resemblance to each other, but I'll leave that conversation to my friend, Melissa Doherty. Um, so yeah, I, I think that those are some things that I thought like, oh, there's there's some truth to that. And, and the one other thing I would say like kind of resonated with me in the film was the opening line. You hear Greg Locke say, um, so much of the preaching that's in our churches today is basically self-help, motivational, positivity teaching. And yet our churches are filled with porn addicts and people who are plagued by suicidal thoughts and chronic nightmares. And um, they wonder why the life that we describe in our sermons as self-help and positivity never um, touches them. And it, it doesn't really change their lives is sort of this moral therapeutic deism. And, and, um, you know, people, people just still have so many struggles with addiction and, and porn and this sort of thing. And, and, you know, the gospel, it, it, it just doesn't like, there seems to be some misalignment with how we preach to people and how the and the kinds of things that people are wrestling with and in my ministry that I saw that to be true I saw many many people in ministry that you know they read their bible they pray they were sincere christians they went to church they they tried to mortify their flesh they did all the right things they were true christians they were not superficial christians and yet they still struggle with porn. Like they maybe like had at one time, you know, were looking at porn like three or four times a week or three or four times a day. And they had it down under control that they were, you know, they were only looking at it once or twice a month, but it still bothered them that they just couldn't get past it. And going through deliverance, it finally was like the final thing to break the chain that then it wasn't an issue in their life anymore. And you know, when you see enough of that, it really starts making you think like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what this is. And um, so I think that, again, let's normalize having the conversation rather than just being so reactionary and fear and you can't have that and talking about demons is NAR and da, da, da. And there's all this finger pointing. And it's like, well, let's just at least notice that like, this is a real phenomenon you know, that we have a lot of addicts in our churches and a lot of people are struggling. And maybe could we have a conversation about demonic influences and believing lies and what those impacts are? I don't know. If we listen to, to you know, one side of the conversation, they say, no, absolutely not. We can't have that conversation. Okay. So, um, you know, I think that those are some things that resonated with me. Okay, now now some some issues that I have with with the film. All right, first of all, 
here's the thing. You, you, you learn from, you learn things based on who teaches you. Okay. That's just normal. We all copy whatever our teacher tells us because that's how we learn. When people learn anything, that's true. Okay. When people do deliverance, they tend to do it the way that they've been taught. And the kind of deliverance that you see in the movie is a particular, it has particular practices. First of all, most of the deliverances shown in the film are in public. They're at the front of a church service. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people watching. So it's in public. The manifestations, the screaming, the convulsions, the, the vomiting is all happening in public. That's a way that deliverance can be done. It's not the way that I was taught to do it. I was taught to do it in a very peaceful way and a way that didn't end up injuring the person. Um, I think that it's, it's unfortunate that Christians who are cautious about deliverance and rightly so, like usually the only type of deliverance they've ever seen is this kind of screaming, vomiting, convulsive kind of deliverance. And that's what they think it is. That's what they think it all is. But it doesn't have to be that way. And again, I bless everyone who works in deliverance. But my concern and the concern of my colleagues that will, after seeing the film was we all shared the concern of the people who are receiving this kind of ministry. It looks like it could be traumatizing for them. Like if you have someone yelling over you and screaming over you for half an hour, that could be dramatizing. And I think that the way that it, it is done in this way, I have worked with enough clients in ministry that some people do get traumatized by that. And bad deliverance can be very difficult. And so I think that if people knew that there were other options available for deliverance, um, I think that could be helpful. But I think that because of the stereotype of the screaming, the convulsing, the vomiting, and putting that on display in front of hundreds of people, my concern is those people have to go on in real life and in community with some of these people, having like all your business out there in the public. Like, I just, I'm so concerned about this. And, um, I, I think that there's, I have kind of 
past, not, not because I'm a pastor, but I'm, I'm trying to think of a different word, like pastoral concerns. I have concerns for their soul. I have concerns for their well-being and going through deliverance that way. Especially like there was one person whose face was blurred out in the movie, but had the appearance of being like a gender confused adolescent, like 12, 13 years old. If I had some grown man standing over me as a 12 or 13 year old and I'm gender confused and I'm already like struggling and someone was like screaming at me, that would be really, really rough. And so that is kind of a concern that I have for that person's soul. But like, if you read in Carl Payne's book, he talks about, you know, a more peaceful method of deliverance and, and I don't think it has to be that way. And so, and, and Tony is bringing up another concern I had, which is the fruit. She says in the movie, did you get to hear testimonies of those delivered or was it more focused on the people in ministry? This was a concern I had um, about the film is that they didn't really bring forward much information about the fruit. Like I would have really liked to seen more emphasis because most of the portrait was on the people ministering. I would have really liked to seen more of like, you know, Hey, after I went through this process, here's what I got delivered from here was my life before here's what kind of Christian I was before. Here's, here's where I'm at now. One year, two years later, here's how this has changed my life. Here's how I have a life transformed. I think that that would have been much more compelling and showing the discipleship process because this is another concern I have about the film is that it almost made it seem like every problem has a demonic cause. And someone asked earlier, like, do I think that porn, okay. Do I think there's a demon of porn? No. Or is it a sin issue? Yeah, it's, it's both. I mean, I think that we, it's a sin issue. We let it in, we start those practices. And then over time, any sin, any addiction can eventually become a permission for harassment. And then, you know, those thoughts, the demons can just whisper to us, um, you know, the thoughts of engaging in that addiction. And then it just becomes easier and easier. And so if you have that kind of harassment all the time, it can become easy to capitulate to that. I still think people are responsible. I don't think that demonic controls take away responsibility, but I think that, you know, it's, there's no one demon of porn. I don't, I don't buy into that. Now that leads me to another thing. Um, I, I think that there's a form of deliverance that they're practicing where you got to like name all the demons, like spirit, a demon of fear and demon of porn and this weird name demon and this weird name demon that that's a way to do it. That's a way, but it doesn't have to be that way. And again, in the way that I was taught, um, you know, and Carl Payne kind of covers this in his book, is that there's a way of doing it where you don't have to know their names, you don't have to talk to them, you don't have to waste so much time and putting the person through all of that. But that is how they do it. And it is a way, you know, so there is that. Um, and I would really want to know what is the fruit of it long-term? Like all of the falling down and the fainting and all of that. Okay, 
like let's say i just i grant all of that what's the fruit from those people in their life a year a year later two years later how has it helped them grow in their walk and and manifest the fruit of the spirit and walk in their spiritual gifts and call and all of that i would want to know more about that um so Okay, somebody's on here. The Russian pastor Vlad, who again I said I actually follow on YouTube and have watched some of his content uh, over the last year and a half or so, says his team speaks to the person to determine if it is a deliverance issue for an hour or so to really get to know the person. That makes so much sense to me. Yeah, and when I was doing it, I made people. There's a few people, you know, that I'm thinking of uh, right now. Um, I, I put them through a lot. Like it was almost like a mini class they had to go through before, before prayer to make sure that they were really ready to make sure that they, it, they weren't looking for a quick fix. And that, that's another concern I have is that this kind of gave the impression that if you have a particular problem, that this can be just a quick fix to that. That doesn't work. That, that'll injure people. I'm, I'm a little concerned that some people are going to go home and try to do like self-style deliverance. Uh, and they might, they, that might not go so well for them. So, yeah, I, th I think that, you know, having a process, communicating to the person that this isn't a one and done, one size fits all to every problem you have, um, you know, there's still going to be discipleship. There's still going to be um, repentance and turning away from your past life and all of those things. All of those conversations need to happen. and. Um, but I think that what the documentary does raise is we do need to have more conversations about this. And again, as we're living in a post-Christian society, we need to understand the kinds of people that we're going to be winning to Christ through the gospel. And then many of them have opened up their, their souls to the demonic. And um, so, yeah, I think that those are, some of the questions. Now, Pam's asking if it's fake. I really don't think it's fake. I, I, I do think that some stuff you see on TV is fake. There's no, no, no doubt about it. But um, I don't think it would be fair to say that it's all fake. It's all a show. Um, I just have seen too much to, and have too much of a data set to, to see that. And, and I do think that we, you know, we have to grapple with the reality that you know, part of Jesus coming and bringing the kingdom of God is involved a spiritual component, you know, casting out demons, like it's a biblical thing. Now the question is, is what are we doing? And, and, um, you know, uh, what, what are we supposed to do as Christians? But I would love to be able to have reasonable discussions in the public square about that without people just automatically condemning you and saying, like, if you want to talk about demonization like you're just automatically part of the nar and so therefore we don't even have to have the conversation um can we talk about good deliverance bad deliverance can we talk about um what's biblical and what's not can we talk about um a biblical foundation for some practices and how some practices just seem to be made up um can we talk about it can we have a conversation about it um what do you think about the idea of casting out a demon and they come back even worse? 
what happens to people getting delivered in a movie theater. Yeah, nobody, we didn't have any manifestations last night in the movie that we were at. So I, but I am concerned for people that to have proper pastoral care and, and, um, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, I do think that Jesus says some things in Matthew's gospel about if demons leave and, you know, if the person, um, you know, they, they can let the demons back in. I've certainly seen that in ministry and it's sad. And so that's why I always have like a really strong preparatory process before I pray for somebody. And Carl Payne talks about that in his book. He does the same thing as well, because that's who I learned it from. Uh, just um, looking at, uh, you know, like, hey, let's make sure that you're ready and that you can live this out and you, you have proper expectations and you're not thinking that this is going to solve all your problems and, th and that sort of a thing. Uh, Beth, oh, I'm glad you asked this question. What about the charge of simony? Some deliverance ministries charge for their services or encourage donations for successful casting out. Yeah, I, I think that that's a very sad issue. I've heard of deliverance ministries like charging like $10,000 or more for, for that. Um, I, I think that's really sad. Um, I, uh, when I was doing ministry, I always just kind of left it up to the Lord. If the person wanted to give me a gift, I would accept it, but I didn't have a standard fee or anything. And, um, it's, I don't want it to be a transactional thing. I'm trying to pray for that person, but yeah, there are ministries out there that do that. Um, yes, I wish I knew how to say your name. I want to say, Hey, you meangle. Uh, do you think people getting delivered are real Christians? Well, I could speak for myself and most of the people that I minister to were friends. And yes, I can assure you they were all, um, not only just Christians in name only, but mature Christians, longtime Christians. And yet they had intractable problems. I'll tell you about two. Um, one of them, uh, one person I ministered to more recently had, before she was a Christian, had been really involved in new age practices and um, engaging in, we'll say, making some alternative lifestyle choices. And um, now she was a very mature Christian. She was working in ministry full time and Christian mom and um, everything. And um, so not just like a Christian in name only, but like a serious Christian. And yet she still was plagued rather regularly with, with guilt that she could never shake and just horrible thoughts of condemnation that she could never shake. And no matter how much she prayed, no matter how much she read her Bible, no matter how much she tried to renew her mind and memorize scripture and do all the right things, she just had these automatic intrusive thoughts that she could not get rid of about guilt from her past life. And we prayed together for, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half. And she's been totally free. And that's been over um, probably almost a year now, or maybe over a year. And um, just free of those thoughts. So what would explain that? She had prayed for, for to be free of those thoughts for thousands of times but not really thinking of uh, those thoughts as being of a demonic origin. We prayed against them and she hasn't had those thoughts since. 
And now she's able to work in ministry in ways that she never could have conceived of before because of these condemning thoughts. Um, so it's um, another person I worked with. Um, she had a horrible, horrible medical problems and had gone to a lot of these doctors. Doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. Many, many doctors done all the tests, done everything. Didn't know what was wrong with her. I said, well, let's just pray against this. Maybe it's a demonic scheme. Instantaneously gets healed from multiple medical problems. What would explain that? This person is a, was a mature Christian, very devout, very sincere, did all the right things, reading the Bible, praying, everything. And she has healed overnight from a medical condition confirmed by her doctors that she is completely healed and no longer has these problems. Well, what was the only difference? Well, we just prayed against any demonic activity in her life that was hindering her health. I, yeah. Let's see. All right. All right, so let's talk about a couple of more um, issues. April's raising a really good question here. Could this become a workspace gospel for some people? Um, I, here's my concern is balance. Like I understand, like part of the thing with Greg Locke is he just strikes me as really excited about like, he found something new in the Bible and in, in church, in, um, church practice of casting out of demons. Um, and so he's real excited. And, you know, when you're, when you discover something about your faith, it's like, when I first discovered apologetics, like I wanted to tell everybody, like, where has this been all my life? You know? And um, sometimes it can come across as a little obnoxious even to, to people because they're like, well, why do I care about apologetics? You know, and I'm making the case like it's biblical, it's here, you know, you need to give a give a reason for the hope that is in you. And and you know, and I'm really excited about it. I want everybody to know. And uh, you know, it's like something's wrong with you if you don't want to learn apologetics it kind of struck me that way. Like he's just super excited. He just discovered this and that's great. But what concerns me is that then he says we had 45 Sundays in a row of deliverance uh, focus on, on deliverance in our church. That strikes me as a little imbalanced. Like if everything becomes about deliverance, then if I was going to that church, I would think like, well, what if I've already gotten free? Now what is there for me here at this church? If everything becomes so focused on that one thing, that for me feels a little imbalanced. So I think that, you know, it's, it could come to that. And, and, it can get into excesses where people start thinking that every problem they have is a result of the demonic. And I think that, again, there are some things that prior to me going through deliverance, I have been in therapy working on other issues for 10 years. So I had had a long journey of healing and emotional healing and doing a lot of work and therapy and getting better and all of this. So there was a long history for me there. So 
for me, the deliverance was part of an overall picture of healing. And so I think that if everything becomes about deliverance and everything becomes about demons, and that's not balanced, that's not even biblical. Like there are some healings that Jesus does. Um, like, for example, the woman with the bent back in, I think it's Luke 13. It says that her bent back was caused by a demon and that by casting out the demon, then she was able to straighten up. Well, if we were to look at that medically, we would say, oh, she has scoliosis, you know, um, that's a medical problem. We have a medical name. We can look it up in a medical book and here's the, the symptoms. Here's the prognosis. But sometimes Jesus, there's a couple of occasions where Jesus healed deaf people by casting out a demon. But there's other times when Jesus healed people by just simply um, healing their bodies and making them whole and not casting out a demon. So that tells me that there's a variety of things that can happen. Um, are some medical problems demonically caused? I think some of them probably are. But again, we can't have the conversation because of the two polarizing things. One group wants to say that everything is demonic. Every mental illness is demonic. Every physical problem is demonic. And then on the other side, it's like, nothing is demonic. And I'm like, how about we take a more investigative approach. How about we have an approach of um, data and looking into things and ask, being able to ask different questions. So I think that biblically we see that Jesus heals different ways. And sometimes it does seem to be through what we call deliverance or casting out demons. There's other times when he uses other means. So in my own life, that's how it worked is there were multiple means. Um, yeah, somebody's asking, uh, I would like a good biblical resource for what deliverance should be. Uh, thank you, Laura, for putting that in the comments. Uh, again, I'm going to recommend Carl Payne's book, Spiritual Warfare. I think that's a good treatment. Okay. All right. So those are my major issues. Anyone else who... Um, watched the video if you want to jump on with your thoughts put them in the comments um yeah that's a good question kristen's asking uh what about trends and power of suggestion play into this i don't know how power of i think it could be in some cases for sure power of suggestion is powerful but in the cases that I've seen, and I'm only going to report on the things I've seen because that's the data set that I, I know I can verify. I don't think it's power suggestion when you have somebody who gets healed from a disease instantaneously after praying against demonic things. And then that person um, puts themselves in a situation where normally they would become hospitalized as a result of their disease and they, they, they never have that problem again. Like that's not power of suggestion. That's, that's healing. That's, that's Jesus intervening in that. And if it was under any other circumstance other than casting out of demons, I don't, I think everyone, all the Christians in the room would be clapping if we said, Hey, you know, Jesus healed me from X, Y, Z disease, but only because 
were saying, Jesus healed me from XYZ disease through deliverance, that then it becomes controversial, which I find highly interesting, since there is a strong biblical precedent of that. Um, okay, let's see here. Elaine says, are there ages of time or areas of the world that have more active stuff? Well, oh, this is this is the question, Elaine. This was the first crack for me in, in you know, <laughs> when I was thinking this through is I could quickly concede that demonic manifestations happened in other parts of the world, like Africa and Asia. And the Christians I would meet had no problem with deliverance at all if they were from that part of the world. And I quickly realized that in my Western bias, I was the skeptic in the room when historically Christians globally have not had these, these issues. I mean, even when I talked to my Coptic friend um, about this, I mean, in the Coptic tradition, they, they have deliverance. Deliverance is baked into their liturgy for baptism. Um, and so I realized that it was kind of a peculiar belief to think, well, demons are just what they all live in Africa. They all live in Asia. And like, I don't know, there's some sort of barrier around America where they don't come. I, that I realized pretty quickly, like that didn't make sense. Um, I think that the difference is that demons show up differently in America. Um, I think that they oppress us differently. We're not going to go to see a witch doctor, you know, uh, when we're sick. I, I think that the way that demons manifest in the West and how they harass us is just different than in other parts of the world because they play to our academic, naturalistic sensibilities. Um, I think that demons are just as present. If you've talked to an African Christian, they'll tell you they think there's more demons in America than in Africa because we don't pay attention to them. We don't look at them. We don't want to talk about them. And don't you think that's kind of a pretty good demonic scheme? <laughs> like if, if the devil doesn't want to get discovered and he wants us to just sort of ignore him, that we kind of create a setup where we can't even have a conversation about demonization and polite company. Like that's a pretty good scheme where we can't even investigate it. Um, but if you talk to Christians from other parts of the world who have seen, you know, spirit activity where they're from, they'll usually tell you they think there's just as many demons here as there are there, possibly even more of them here. There's more deceptive because they hide and we're so deceived into what they're doing because we think it's normal. Oh, let's see. Pam says, is this something that applies more to believers than non-believers? I would say definitely more to to non-believers, you know, because they've opened themselves up. The question that, you know, I think we have to grapple with is um, in the West, we don't want to believe that demons can really impact us at all. And, um, you know, I don't think it can impact us as much or maybe in the same ways as the non-believer, but I still think that dem that Christians can be harassed by demons. Um, absolutely. So, oh, Brandon, 
how does this fit into cessation versus continuationism? Well, I, I don't think a cessationist is really going to believe in, at least I know I didn't. I'll speak to, for myself. Um, maybe there's some cessationist out there in the world that, that believes in casting out of demons. I don't know if categorically as part of their definition that you, they don't believe in that, but I've never run into one. Um, so, yeah. All right. So those are some of my thoughts about the movie infomercial, I don't know what to call it, documentary, Come Out in Jesus' Name. It was an interesting ride. It was loud. It was long. It was a lot of preaching. If you're interested in it, go check it out. You know, see, uh, see what you think. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it was an, it was an interesting, it was an interesting ride. So go check it out and I'll look forward to hearing from you and seeing what you think of it. Uh, again, these are all my thoughts. Some are opinions. <laughs> and again, I bless everyone who works in deliverance. It just don't make the mistake of thinking, that what you're seeing in that film is the only way that deliverance looks. I've never in all the people that I've worked with ever experienced the screaming, the puking, the convulsing, the fainting, all of that. That just, for me, looks a little traumatic and a little scary. Um, another good resource is um, go check out the guys at Remnant Radio. Uh, they are continuationists. Um, they did a series about a year ago on deliverance. They had some really good thoughts. All three of them are pastors, kind of younger guys, younger than me. Um, and they're doing some good work. And I do appreciate their more balanced approach. And they did uh, a program called How to Cast Out Demons. And there was one part where they just explained so well. One of the guys explained like how he deals with children. And it's just so much more gentle than what you saw in, in the come out in Jesus name film. Um, I'm just not a fan of, of all the screaming. So it's just a little too much. Um, Stephanie, uh, yes, this is a very good question. Do you think that people who've experienced deliverance shared the testimonies more that it would help normalize the conversation? I think that would really help. <laughs> I did, but I think that the, the hesitancy is because just even me making the simple post on social media today, like people in media, like, oh no, deliverance, that's NAR. And because you, you've seen the extremes, you think that's the whole thing and it's just not. So those are my thoughts. Hope you found it helpful. We'll see if this is up by tomorrow or if I take it down. So anyways, hope you have a good evening. And we will see you soon. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.